welcome back. Let's Get Physical Therapy is an educational podcast brought to you by MedStar Health and hosted by me, physical therapist Becca Schumer. I will be sharing the mic with tons of healthcare professionals with the goal of educating and inspiring fellow PTs and future PTs. We hope you find this both informative and inspirational, ultimately optimizing how we treat our patients and grow as professionals. Please enjoy today's episode. Today, we've got our first occupational therapist to join the podcast. Her name is Lauren Davis. She went to Towson University, where she received her bachelor's and master's degree in OT in 2005. She then completed an upper extremity upper quadrant certificate from Drexel University. She then earned her hand therapist certification in 2010, and she specializes in overuse injuries, tendinopathies, post-fracture management, shoulder rehab, custom orthosis, fabrication, and tendon and nerve injuries and repairs. I'm excited to host Lauren today. Couldn't think of a better guest to talk about rehab for total shoulders and reverse total shoulder replacements. Hi, Lauren. How are you today? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing really well. You are the first OT that we'll have on the podcast. That's really exciting. Very excited to be the first one. Sweet. Well, thank you for being willing to be the first one. (laughs) All right. As you know, we love to hear our guest stories. How did you get into the field of OT? So I got into OT. My mom is an OT as well and owns a private practice, an OT and PT outpatient practice back in Ohio, where I'm from. So I spent a lot of time there when I was younger, you know, interacting with her patients, answering phones. And then as I got closer, getting ready to college, thought this would be a career I was looking, really looking into. Um, and at the time, OTs did not need a master's to practice, but my mom actually was the one that said, you're going to need a master's. Look for programs that either offer a master's or have a combined program, which is how I got here to Towson. Um, Also looking for, you know, my chance to go away to school. So it's away, but not too far. Um, And so then that brought me here to Maryland. I actually did an internship here in the hand center when I was in college. Luckily, the field work coordinator at the time knew that I was interested in hand therapy and got me connected here, um, which really helped solidify that this is what I was interested in. But I did work in acute care here at Union Memorial for around a year before a position opened up in the hand center. So I got hired at Union Memorial in. June of 2005, and I've been in the hand center since September of 2006. So I've been here since. <laughs> Long time. That's that's yeah. so cool. I feel like it's I feel like it's rare these days to find someone who's been in the same position for it so long. Really, really is, and definitely here being here at the hand center, like in Union Memorial, we have all these other therapists to work with, which is so nice. We have the doctors on site. Like it really is even within a specialty, such a special location. Yeah, that's so cool. And mm-hmm. yeah, I work also like doctors are down the hall. It's so nice being able to collaborate like that. Absolutely. Well, for all the PT students listening out there, we don't, I don't remember learning a ton about OT when I was in PT school. Can you just sure. tell us a little bit about what you do on a daily basis? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So here in the hand center, it would be a lot harder to tell the difference, you know, everyone here is a certified hand therapist, which is a whole nother specialty, and we are either OTs or PTs. So in this setting, it would be a lot harder to say who's an OT, who's a PT, because our treatments are going to be geared towards the same thing. But on 
acute care, certainly you could see a difference as to what we might be addressing. But in general, you know, an OT is working towards those ADLs, those activities of daily living. The term occupational therapy is so misleading because especially when I was on acute care, you know, you go in and people would say, honey, I'm retired or I don't need a job. Occupations is not a great term, meaning more your daily occupations. What do you do that's important to you? Your dressing, your bathing, your meal prep, your, you know, problem solving, all these things. So your OT is usually working on kind of getting you back to those functional skills, getting you back to the things that are important to you. Um, again, that can make it so tricky because here we're in an outpatient, pretty much, you know, like a orthopedic setting. Then my friends, I might have someone in acute care. They're working with patients maybe after a stroke or a joint replacement or cardiac surgery. Then I have friends who are only with children with autism, which is great to have so many options within a field, but makes it that much more difficult to define what is an OT because you know an OT, she works in the school system. You know me, I'm in the hand center. You know another one, they're in acute care, but we all have the exact same degree. But we all are working on getting our patients back to those functional skills, those activities of daily living. It's so cool to be able to practice in so many fields like we need OTs in all those areas and PTs in all those areas so it's nice to have that flexibility and you might get sick of one area and you can transition to a completely different area what I think in schools too and hopefully they do emphasize it now is knowing you know just like a good OT would be working on you know making sure you can get dressed you can get dressed but you can't get down your steps how are you going to do anything your PT might be addressing that you know, so I think it's it's a really important, as it is with so many disciplines, to really emphasize the collaboration that both disciplines can have instead of sometimes it can become like a turf war situation where really I feel like it's more important to emphasize between disciplines, among therapy, with the doctors, with everyone, how can we best work together to provide the best care? Yeah, I was having a conversation with the PT earlier today, and we were talking about remembering like who is the goal? The patient is the priority. So absolutely, we all have to get along because the patient is what we're here for. Yeah, ultimately. and we probably all have really great things to bring to the table. Things you know, you might have a viewpoint coming from PT school that I may not have had. We might have because OTs really started in mental health, so we might have this additional part of our training that maybe helps us, you know, engage with someone. And you might have a pharmacology aspect that that I don't have, you know, so I think better yet to to kind of strengthen what we both can do together, not what we have to fight about. <laughs> yeah. All right. We just took that completely off topic, but it's good. Yeah. It's a good conversation to be had. <laughs> so let's turn this back to total shoulder replacement, right. arthroplasty, rehab, all that good stuff. What is your involvement in this? How often are you seeing these patients? And yeah, sure. how did you get into it? So when Dr. Murthy was first starting the prehab program, myself and another therapist here were really working with another team to help develop a prehab program. So the idea behind that was a patient would come, whether it was in person or virtual, we were doing both options, to go over kind of the steps that they would need to do before a total shoulder, go over what their exercises would be, what their sling would look like, kind of all that 
that you want to have maybe had a chance to see or practice before you are post anesthesia and trying to understand what someone's saying to you. Um, we've seen a few prehab patients. We haven't seen a ton here, um, but also we have sites, you know, all over Baltimore. So they could be being seen elsewhere. Um, we also tend to here in this location, I think we are often sent some of the patients that might be a little more frail or need maybe a little bit more hand-holding versus some of the really ath like athletic or maybe younger clientele that might be getting sent to more of a sports medicine type clinic. So I've had a definitely a few total shoulder patients. I wouldn't say it's a ton. I also don't know in general. I don't know. Dr. Murthy can tell you, you know, what's his real volume? of those patients. Um, but the ones that we've seen, really, they can go from such a painful, really non-functional arm to having now a significant reduction in pain in an arm that they can use for functional tasks again, which is always the goal. Mm -hmm. I think, and, and speaking with Dr. Murthy, just better understanding that these patients are getting younger and younger that are having this. I think it's sort of a misnomer here, joint replacement. Oh, they must be in their 70s and 80s, but they're in their potential upper 30s, 40s having this done. Yeah. So I know in particular, one of the prehab patients that I had, I think he was in his, I want to say early 60s. He was very active. He just happened to have really bad arthritis. So I saw him for that prehab visit. He had surgery. I did a follow-up phone call with him, but I never saw him again. He didn't need me because he was like, I feel great. I'm, he understood the exercises and he, because he was this healthy, active person, was ready to kind of just return to his activities. Yeah, let's go back to talking about the prehab and the importance of prehab. I feel like sure. any anybody who has any surgery should yeah. be, or would benefit from doing a prehab visit just as talk to a PT or an OT just together, understanding, ask questions on how to prepare their house. As you say, when you're in the PACU and the doctors and we're trying to yeah. teach you new things, like you're not going to remember when you're half awake and under still like under anesthesia. Absolutely. Even just that sling you know, that can seem when you're in the field, maybe like a common sling. But if that's not your everyday, it can be so overwhelming. So if you hadn't had a chance to look at it, or at least try putting it on first, that would be so great to see having an idea of what these exercises will be before your, you know, post replacement, so that you can kind of familiarize yourself with it. But then we also would go over in that prehab, how to prep, um, but things you may not think of, like we will encourage someone, like maybe consider renting a recliner if you can. It's so much more comfortable to sleep in a recliner or have appropriate pillows or get some big button downs, how they're going to get dressed, things that you don't think about, especially involving a shoulder. It's different than if it was your finger or your wrist where maybe you could, you know, clothing getting dressed wouldn't be always such an issue, even to the point of having people, is there someone around that can help prepare some meals ahead of time so that you have things that you can quickly grab. Um, how else can you adapt your house so that things aren't going to be an issue? Because you just don't really imagine how much you really need that other arm until you can't use it. I think people are often surprised, especially when they say, it's not even my dominant arm. I didn't realize. Like you use, you know, both arms a lot. I remember when I had shoulder surgery, just to get up from the couch, it's like, oh my gosh. Absolutely. Yeah. Getting out of bed. Yeah. 
toileting. I mean, there's a Mm -hmm. lot of things. If you have longer hair, how are you doing it? There's so much that you really don't realize until you can't do it. And you were talking about your patient population tends to be a little older, less active. So I imagine even like the fall risk of having one less limb to be able to use. Yes, which some of that then also we have to get a little bit more creative because some of those exercises post-op might have them be supine, might have them laying down, um, and they may not be able to comfortably do that. So then it also gives us a chance to problem solve ahead of time. Okay, how could we adapt some of these exercises to make sure you're still getting the motions that you need without putting your surgery at risk? Yeah, definitely. All right, so prehab, check. They have their surgery, they hopefully in and out same day, don't need to stay over. How soon do you see these patients post-op in the clinic? So some of that I think depends on doctor, the doctors in general, but their preferences. Um, I think we've seen people sometimes as early as two weeks, but a lot of times that's more with a cuff tear than a replacement. I think that's usually more closer to like the four, four week mark, um, But again, that might depend on their age and how involved or if there was anything else, you know, going on. Our surgeons, Dr. Murthy in particular, is really great at writing specific notes to us in his protocols. So when we get it, the protocol with the patients, it will give us very specific degrees as to how far we can range them and what we're working on, um, which definitely helps us know because we're not in there. I don't know how much tension or how stable is that replacement in there. Uh, and that helps, I think, both the patient and us feel more comfortable to say, like, I know exactly where I'm supposed to take you. The doctors communicated that to me. And even if they're not all as good as Dr. Murthy in writing specifics, yes. then in comes that importance of the communication between us and the doctor Absolutely. to learn those things. So, I mean, most right PT eval and treat or OT eval and treat. Sure. So it's important to read the op note and, and get those nitty-gritty yes. details. Right. So if it is someone who is within our system, you know, even having, <clears throat> excuse me, MedConnect access is so nice because there can be a lot to write on a script versus me being able to get in and really read all that that I may, that I might need to know, you know, that help would explain if they're like, this really hurts. And I'm like, oh, you also had... X, Y, and Z done. I understand now your arm is hurting so much more than I would think. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Are you saying, are there any differences in rehabbing someone who has the total shoulder anatomic versus reverse? Um, yeah, for sure. You know, a lot of with the reverse, I feel like our emphasis is just all deltoid. We're just really working on getting that deltoid firing because we know that it's not going to function quite the same as a anatomic total shoulder. Um, And I think that also then helps maybe set expectations for a patient for them to know we're not going for complete overhead motion. You know, we're trying to get like around that 90 degree, but you will be functional. I think a lot of it is explaining to patients that a functional pain-free or less pain, pain pain-free is not always a great term, um, joint is much more important than a hypermobile unstable, painful joint, which a lot of these patients, like we said, you know, they even 
younger, older, wherever they might range, they have been dealing possibly with pain for so long that they are already feeling better. Their pain is better. They're already like, no, I'm I'm good. I can get back to what I need to do because they're not in pain every day. It's so fatiguing to deal with that. I, f- I find that with most total joints. If you get rid of that mm-hmm. arthritic joint, yeah. that pain, that gnawing pain is gone. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And you're left with just this, just what I'm quoting, Eric, right. just the surgical pain. Yes. But I imagine, I mean, knock on wood, I don't have any significant joint pain currently or thus far in life. But, you know, you know, when you have just a simple like a paper cut, how much that hurts, you like hit your hand into everything. That's so minor. And so if you were dealing with a chronic pain issue, having something would give any relief, I imagine would make a huge improvement in your just life. Mm -hmm. Going back to expectations and managing expectations. Mm -hmm. Again, that just goes back to the importance of prehab and understanding the range of motion limits that come with each surgery. Yeah, maybe. So how do you have you had to work with patients who are disappointed in their range of motion or lack thereof? Are they just happy that they're not in pain anymore? I would say a majority of them are happy that they're just not in pain anymore. They're able to, you know, get dressed. They're able to put on a bra. They're able to tuck in a shirt, maybe, you know. Um, but we're also sometimes saying, how long has it been since you could reach behind your back? You're addressing stiffness that may have been around for a while. That could take longer. Um, And in general, I feel like with a lot of our patients, we're often saying we're getting to as getting you back to as functional as we can. But we also have to keep in mind that this is no longer an uninjured or an unoperated joint, right? It's not the same as a 20 year old shoulder. So although it might, you might always have some functional limitation, it is improved than what it was. But I I feel like specifically to these total shoulders, I don't think that they complain about it so much. I see that more in just some of our general orthopedic issues um, or when it gets down to the nitty gritty, they want those last few degrees where you have to say, you're completely functional. I get it. It's annoying, but you have been through surgery. Uh, I had a conversation with the shoulder doc. I think it's going to come out before this one does about shoulder instability and how trying to get those last few degrees can actually like be detrimental to the recovery. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Some of our, um, you know, I've had a few here and there of like a pitcher or overhead athlete. And I know sometimes the surgeon has said, do not stress that motion because they maybe they had some type of stability surgery. And yeah, that's not the time. We're strengthening for sure, but not the time to crank on them. And I feel like it's like that with these total shoulders. When we're approved for strengthening, we're definitely going to strengthen what's appropriate and to what their, you know, pain tolerance and what their functional requirements are. But I'm not going to crank on them. Like I feel like sometimes maybe you have to with other joints, like a knee. Total sure I'm not going to be cranking on them as hard as I can. There's no need. Right. Yeah. Yeah. With the total shoulder and reverse as well, it's a pretty big scar. So how do you manage that in the clinic? Sure. We do have a lot of really lovely things here for scar <laughs> center. You know, we do a lot of um, on the shoulder. Sometimes our scar pads can be tricky 
to get them to stay in place because we usually need some type of compression to hold them on. But we have silicone scar tapes, which don't require that. You can just lay them on. It's a lot of educating of scar massage, gentle scar massage with just a nice moisturizing lotion. Unscented lotion doesn't have to be Mederma or anything like that. That's such an expensive product. And you really, you could use, you know, Aquaphor or um, Eucerin or coconut oil, anything. It's just really a nice hydrating massage, a uh, lotion to massage with, which also sometimes people have hypersensitivity along an incision. And it's important for them to know that that's normal and that's okay. And the more they get used to touching it, it will actually feel better. We also sometimes will use kinesio tape here to kind of give like a cross friction massage as long as they don't have any adhesive sensitivities. That tape, although it can stay on for a couple of days, can give people skin reactions. So we have to be you know careful of that. But I think people can be so squirmish to touch their own scars. So a lot of it's just getting them used to it's okay, you know, it's your body. Rub that scar. <laughs> Yeah, it is kind of funny or interesting how people just avoid it. They're scared to touch it. Oh, yeah. My best friend had ankle surgery, you know, years and years ago. And I'm showing her, you need to massage a scar. And she's kept saying, that's disgusting. No one would touch that but you. <laughs> you have to touch this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay. So a patient has surgery there in your clinic. How often are you seeing these patients? I know it depends probably on their goals sure. and what they're getting back to. But Generally, yeah, how often it definitely you? depends. But I say a pretty generic expectation is they're coming twice a week. Um, often we'll schedule it first for six weeks. But I would say, I mean, a very average course of therapy, it's not unrealistic to say you're going to be here for three months. Um, sometimes more, sometimes less. Sometimes we're starting out two times a week. Sometimes it's three, probably not for total shoulder. It's probably two. Um as it gets closer to the end of their therapy, we might bump down to once a week or kind of space that out. But in the beginning, you know, we're not only working on that motion, but we're also working on pain and swelling, getting used to that desensitizing of a scar and getting the patient to have some rapport with us so that they will trust you. You know, a lot of the exercises in the beginning are having them supine or laying down and that's a lot to trust someone who you've just met to hold your surgical arm and not guard, which we're trying to say, like, keep your arm so loose so that I can range them. So I think, you know, even in the beginning, it's a lot of just establishing relationships that they know I'm not going to drop your arm. Maybe the first few times I'm not even laying you flat yet. I want you to feel comfortable. I'm going to show you some other ways you can do this until you've been here a few times. Again, plugging prehab because you can start yeah. that relationship. Before yeah, things. for sure. Yeah. What does it look like when, okay, they have their full range of motion or I'm sorry, let's say they have full passive range of motion. They're starting mm -hmm. to actively move their arm. Sure. I'm sure a lot of these patients have had pain for a long time and they're sort of hiking up and not Absolutely. using, not kind of moving it correctly. How do you sort yes. of cue them and help them to fix the mechanics of their shoulder motion? Yeah, so there can be so many compensatory mechanisms, which is why if they are not strong enough, you know, you've seen the like, oh, you just give them wall slides. Not really, a, not a fan. Unless they are to the point where they can actually do that without hiking up their shoulder. If not, it's not helping anyone. The same as pendulums, almost 
most of the time they're not doing them correctly. I'm worried are they going to fall? They don't get it. They're just, it's all active motion. Um, so if they can lay down, if they can be supine, I really like to start some more active in like a short arc motion. So I'll have them laying down and maybe they're doing like if their arm was like a clock, you know, we're just doing a little bit like tick tock back and forth, gradually increasing the range. And as that gets easier, increasing the head of the bed to add more gravity in. That's one that really is a nice way, I think, for them to really learn how to engage those muscles without hiking up. It's a lot of verbal cueing. It's a lot of manual cueing. Um, and then just so much working below 90. You know, eventually they get that motion and they get there. But I think a lot of our strengthening, we are working below 90 to start until they can really get there without overcompensating and doing those gentle rotator cuff strengthening and postural support exercises before we're working on any of those extreme overhead activities. Yeah, I find a lot of the time they don't obviously they're not aware that they're doing it. So no. videotaping them and showing them or yeah. using a mirror, using yeah, a mirror. Yeah, because a lot of times they really don't know. Yeah. So when they're at home, they can watch themselves and catch themselves doing it. So they're not yes. doing repetitions at home incorrectly and reinforcing yes. bad habits. Yes. Absolutely. All right. So we're we're stepping here. So now our patient <laughs> has great active range of motion. What does the strengthening piece look like? So we'll definitely do, um, you know, we like to do a lot of like TheraBands here because that is a nice one to replicate then at home. I can give you bands for you to take home. You can shut them in your door. Now you've got a way to do internal rotation, internal and external rotation. You've got a way to do scapular retraction. We can change it to go, you know, varying levels. Um, if they do have good active, they're strong enough they can do a wall slide, then we might even start stabilization exercises kind of a little bit above, like sometimes I'll pretend that they're tapping like hours on a clock, um, which also just makes it more fun, <laughs> you know, if you're having some type of visual with it, or we have like small balls that we do different stabilization exercises on that I think patients really respond to. Um, and then we have other machines like the bike and the sidebacks that we can do, you know, lap pull downs and the bike often for more endurance, because depending on how long they haven't been able to use their arm in these different planes, it's going to fatigue so quickly. Um, but also, like we said, is making sure that those exercises, like I'm not necessarily putting a frail 80, 90 year old woman on a cybex. So knowing the population, what what are we trying to get back to? Mm -hmm. When you have a patient that's a laborer that needs to mm -hmm. be over their head and working repetitively mm -hmm. overhead, what does that transition look like once they're finished out of your clinic before they're ready to head back to work? Right. Great question. So if they are a laborer and if this is a workers' comp situation, then we have here specifically a really wonderful workers uh, work hardening and work conditioning program, which is such an asset for us to then, you know, again, we're working with the doctor to say they're kind of plateauing with us, but they're not necessarily ready for that labor position yet. Mm -hmm. So then they can go to our work hardening department. We have an OT and a PT, really two OTs and a PT on staff that will evaluate them. They'll do their evaluation. And based on that, 
you know, make a plan. Are they ready to go back now? Are they ready to go back with these modifications? Or do they need some additional training? Then they're here in the work conditioning program, the work hardening program, simulating a full day of work. That could be six to eight hours. They're here. But that's really getting them back and ready and brings in these whole other components of addressing mental health, addressing the stressors of being out of work, the stress of returning to work. Um, you know, like there's so many dealing with pain, education on pain. It's such a well-rounded program that for patients that can go to it, it's such a nice bridge from one to the other. It's really the same as a uh, an athlete with ACL surgery and mm-hmm. they're great in PT. They met all the criteria in PT, but they're not quite ready to play. So they need that sort of bridge. Absolutely. Sort of, yeah. Because we have, a, we have a lot of things here, but let me say like our free weights, they go up to 10 pounds. So at some point, unless we're getting them on a BTE and we can stimulate some things, they're going to plateau with is what I can challenge them with. And they may only be here for 45 minutes to an hour. That's a lot different than doing eight hours worth of work, even if you're all day, not overhead, but you are walking around a factory all day, but you've been out of work for X amount of time. That endurance is hard to rebuild. What is the BTE? Sorry, the BT is this uh, Baltimore Baltimore Therapeutic Exercise um, machine (laughs) made here in Baltimore. We are lucky enough to have them. We have a few in our clinic. Um, But what you can do, it's like this huge drum that you can put tools into to simulate them. You can turn up the intensity. You can do a static trial to get an idea of how much strength they have to set it. So we can do a grip. We can put in one that looks like a jar. We can put in one that looks like a screwdriver. But there's also one that almost looks, it's a wheel, but you could do like a ladder pool. Um, One, a tool that almost looks like you're shoveling. There's a lot of different utilizations. Obviously, not all clinics have this expensive machine. Um, But if you do, it's a really cool way to be able to challenge a little bit more than what we can do tabletop, especially if they maybe they're not a workers comp case, then I could, you know, really make a strength-based program on there to try to focus some on that to try to help get them ready. Once your patient's looking good, they say they're not the returning to labor work. They're Mm -hmm. just living life. And What conversations do you have these patients for maintenance? Because their shoulder got to this place for a reason. So maintenance-wise or like improvement-wise for the rest of their life, what conversation do you have with them to help with that? Yeah. So people are always like, do I have to do these exercises for the rest of my life? Maybe not every day, but the same as it's important to exercise in general. Yeah, it would be good to do some type of physical activity. I think also, though, you know, we're talking a lot about then joint protection and being aware. Now, sometimes it may have been something that they were doing and maybe they didn't have an option to say, like, I need to take a break. But being aware of taking breaks when you're doing certain tasks, being aware of listening to your body. It's not we do not operate on a no pain, no gain mentality. It's a very much respect your pain mentality. And then telling them, yeah, you know, if you don't do these exercises every day, fine. But, you know, you try to do them a couple times a week, the same as you would for any well-balanced exercise program to help maintain your muscle mass, 
do it on the other arm. You know, a lot of those activities, we're going to want them to be bilateral anyways. So that they're not completely imbalanced. <laughs> yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Have that conversation all the time. Yeah. Anything we missed with regards to rehab for total shoulders? I feel like we covered a lot of really good stuff from prehab to yeah. discharge. I'd say the only thing we we kind of touched on, but I think having communication with the doctor is so important. So knowing if your physician, you know, some tell you flat off, like, I'm better with email, please address me that way. Or, you know, what's their preferred method? Like I said, we are lucky here that we have, you know, the physicians on site. That still doesn't mean I can just run over and ask them a question. And if I fax them a note, I don't know if they're getting it. It doesn't mean I'm getting them back. But a lot of our, I would say majority of our physicians are very approachable through email, which is such a nice way to say, I have a question or I have a concern. Then when they get a moment, they can read it, they can respond. um, And it just opens up that dialogue. And I think the patient likes to know that too. They feel like, oh good, this whole team is really, you know, focusing on my care. It's not just a one-sided issue or one-sided team. And definitely bringing things up before they become bigger issues and we can't rely on patients to relay information we know things get lost in translation yes if i'm going to see them and they're going to see the doctor that same day or the next day i'll print out a note i might fax it also but i'll print it out to say give this to your doctor you know have them sign it also write down any of your questions ahead of time because how many times have any of us been in the doctor's office and you have all these questions and then even us in a healthcare setting, you leave, you're like, I didn't ask a single one of my questions. Yep. So I'm like, it's your appointment. You're allowed to ask questions. And the more you understand, I think with all diagnoses, the more the patient understand what, what's been done, the better they do. If they feel like they're out to lunch is what happened to their own body. How are they supposed to take an like, active role? Totally agree. Couldn't have said better myself. (laughs) Well, we love to wrap up our episodes hearing a favorite quote or best advice you've ever been given. So um, I would say my favorite, especially regarding therapy, would be treat the person, not the x-ray. You know, a person can have a really nasty x-ray and really not have many functional limitations on the opposite side, which is probably, I think, especially now, more important is their x-ray can look fine. That doesn't mean that their pain is not valid. It doesn't mean they're not having pain. So I think to legitimize someone's pain is to really listen to them and and understand. And it's not going, it's going beyond just don't treat the x-rays, just looking at that person, what makes them feel important, you know, so that you're treating not just a diagnosis, but maybe they like, I really love playing softball. I want to get back to softball or I need to be able to, you know, I don't know, whatever is important to them, but really bringing in those important tasks as a good OT should <laughs> to get them back to those, you know, activities, daily living, the things that are really going to be important to them. It's so much more motivating when you see that you're getting back to the things that are important to you. Um, so, yeah, I always think treat the person, not the x-ray. Love it. Love it. Where can patients find you? PTs find you? OTs find you? If someone's shadow you, where are you working sure. out? Sure. So anyone can email me at any time. Believe it or not, there is, are more than one Lauren Davis in MedStar. 
and we both are Lauren.A. But I am Lauren.A.Davis at MedStar.net. You can find me on there. I'm on Teams if you're a MedStar employee. You can find me there. I'm here at the Curtis National Hand Center at Union Memorial. You can always call me there. I think you can find me on HTCC.org. <laughs> That's all hand therapists. All right. <laughs> You're everywhere. I'm everywhere. <laughs> Lauren, thank you so much for taking some time to share My with us pleasure. today. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Let's Get Physical Therapy Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Instagram at PT. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please give us a five-star rating and leave a review so we can reach more listeners just like you. As always, we appreciate your time and hope you join us for our next episode.